So when I say I am the source of my own salvation, I do not mean my egoic nature. I do not mean at the level of my personality, although I love my personality. What I'm speaking to is my essence, the truth of who I am. That's what's going to save me. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to episode 35 of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. So happy to be back for season three. Hopefully you caught episode 34 last week. And today is my first guest interview of the new year. And I am incredibly honored to have Lola Wright join me. And we really have a dynamic conversation about self-worth, identity, spirituality, how we work through challenging experiences in our lives without getting attached to them and identified with them, sort of talk about a little bit about religion and spirituality and what those structures and belief systems can teach us about self-worth and ways that they can sometimes get in the way of believing that we are worthy. It's a really powerful conversation that touches on a lot of the things that we deal with day to day and a lot of the cultural dynamics that we experience as we navigate this thing called life. It's an incredibly powerful conversation. Lola Wright is incredibly insightful and shares a lot of wisdom. So you're going to want to tune in and stay until the end because Lola shares a really powerful affirmation for you about how worthy you are, how wonderful you are. That is going to be a really great start to your day or end to your day. So listen in. I hope that you find this conversation as valuable and inspiring as I did. Hello, and welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. I am so excited to have Lola Wright as my guest here today because she has been such an inspiration and source of wisdom in my life, and I know that she is going to share some incredible wisdom with you all today. So before we dive in, let me tell you about Lola. So Lola Wright is Chicago-born and built and has a deep appreciation and understanding of the city's complexities. She grew up in the wealth and privilege of private schools, country clubs, and manicured neighborhoods, but she always sensed that something was missing. She sought out aliveness and freedom in music and immersed herself in the hip-hop and house music scenes of 90s Chicago. And then at age 18... She became pregnant, and by 22, she was the mother of two young children living in a volatile and insecure environment. A year later, she was on her own and determined to create a new experience. Lola is an ordained minister with a gift for weaving together the mystical and material. She served for many years as the CEO of Bodhi Center, 
which is an organization committed to personal transformation, collective awakening, conscious activism, and community building. And that is where I met Lola. I started attending Bodhi's Pet Center, and I can really attest to how special that place, that space, and that community was. Lola's work has taken her to stages around the world as a speaker and vocalist. She's given TEDx talks. She's given talks for Chicago Ideas and Harvard Divinity School. And Lola's path has included stops at some of the world's leading global financial institutions. And she's really navigated a number of different spaces. Today, Lola connects through coaching events and community with people seeking a greater sense of aliveness. And among her most impactful opportunities are Our Circle, a digital community that invites members to unleash their unique purpose, and her highly rated podcast, which is renamed to Set on Fire, which is such a fabulous name. And we may get into a little bit of why it's named that. So Lola, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. I am so happy to be here. And it has been so much fun to watch your work in the world just like grow and expand. And I'm always like, wow, look at Adia. She is totally doing it. I love it. So thank you for having me. Thank you. That means a whole lot coming from you. I appreciate it. So I'd love to start our conversation where I start all of my kind of guest conversations on the podcast, which is by asking you to tell us a bit about your own self-worth journey. Yeah. I mean, I think what comes up for me now is what a radical idea it is to really love and appreciate oneself out loud. Mm. I'm just very aware that I think that actually did come pretty native to me. I feel like I come from a lineage of women that were pretty outspoken about claiming their space, claiming their worth. And yet I was also aware that that was not a cultural norm. So Mm. there was this like dissonance between being given permission to own your worth and claim your worth and realizing that the world is not necessarily going to affirm that. Mm. So I feel like that's really been my dance is like, in spite of the world's feedback, am I willing Mm. to claim my brilliance, claim my space, call forward who I'm here to be and determine for myself that I'm worthy, not because I get the validation or approval of the external world, because that's real fickle. It may come and it may go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's so powerful, right? You tied in both sort of the models of the women in your family that helped you to see that you're worthy. And then the tension of living that way in a world that often communicates you're only worthy if, yes. and if you do this, look like this, act like that, speak like this, are from here, that means you're not worthy. And so to sort of live in that tension and sort of own your space as worthy is really powerful. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you made reference in reading my bio around my experience in the hip hop and house music scenes of Chicago during a particular era. And as I reflect on that, I'm very aware that the culture that I was raised in did not affirm my beingness. I was Mm. too outspoken. I didn't physically fit neatly into the boxes that were prescribed for this 
very affluent white environment. Like I just didn't fit neatly in that space for a whole variety of reasons. And it was these really creative musical scenes in Chicago during a particular period where I felt I was given a feedback loop that said, who you are as you are is welcome here. Mm. And that was very, very healing for me. You know, the other thing I'm thinking of as I hear you speak is I have a very distinct memory of having a shift in relationship with money and Mm. really getting that my worth is not determined by the number reflected in my online banking Mm. portal. You know, like, yeah, that's not it. And, and that I, it really was a, a repatterning of my own being to get like, I am the presence of abundance or abundance is right where I am. Mm. And it doesn't have to have a because. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful, right? So talking both about how community has this opportunity to reflect back to us who we are and remind us that we are worthy just as we are. And I think the financial piece, right? We live in a culture that sort of, I want to say talks a lot about money, but also doesn't, <laughs> right? Totally. Like, you know, we money is sort of everywhere, but nobody really says how much they make or how they make it. And there's all this kind of weird stuff. And it's so common for our sense of worthiness to be associated with how much money we have in the bank. And that's sort of what capitalism says in a lot of ways. And I wonder what helped you to make that shift. Yeah, well, I spent a number of years in a pretty intimate group of practitioners. And by that word, I mean people who practice in the field of consciousness. And one of the opening prompts when the first group gathered, which I was not facilitating, I was a participant in, was, okay, great. So go around and uh, provide your name, provide your number of sexual partners, your sexual orientation, and your net worth. Woo! <laughs> Talking about throwing you in the deep end. Right. And the sort of the purpose of the exercise was to notice how much we attach those Mm. determinants to our identity that somehow, and, you know, of course, in my, maybe not of course, but in my case, I had the highest number of sexual partners and the lowest net worth. And Mm. so my husband and I always joke like, oh, Dang it. Maybe there was like a correlation between those two things. But I love the exercise. I mean, it's too provocative for most spaces because Mm -hmm. to your point, we actually like to present one way and have all this other stuff going on in the background. Mm -hmm. But it, it was really pointing to how much our identity is attached to these sort of external metrics. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've spent a long time unraveling that. You know, I really do feel like there was a particular gift that liberation texts have given me. And, Mm. and, you know, if you think about this idea of, and what do I mean by liberation texts? I mean, I was early, early influenced by Black liberation texts Mm -hmm. as a, you know, identify as a white cisgender straight woman. And at 16, I read the book Asada, which is the autobiography of Asada Shakur. And it really, you know, reorganized my brain. Mm -hmm. And I really got like, aha, even inside of a quote unquote progressive family, even inside of a quote unquote curious family, there are all these patterns that I've absorbed Mm -hmm. from culture, from education, and they have molded my point of view. 
that book really blew all of that up in such a powerful way. And so it caused me, you know, like you think about the work of, I don't know, I mean, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes here. You know this, but like Marcus Garvey, who really was such a powerful voice for connecting to what I would call your uppercase self. You know, the the agency and the power that lives within you that is independent of circumstances and conditions. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I became pregnant at 18, it was like the world was going to narrate who mm-hmm. I was in a particular way. And I had to choose, am I going to collude with that narration or am yeah. I going to write my own script? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really powerful. And as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that based on what I've heard from you, there are a number of challenging, you know, maybe even traumatic experiences that you've had in your life that I think many people would attach to as identities, maybe because the world tells them, well, now this is who you are. You are a teen mother, or this Mm -hmm. is who you are. You are someone who's experienced blah, A, B, Z, X, Y, Z. And, you know, I think it's really powerful that you have moved through your life experience without getting attached, or maybe if you were attached, you released these identities of this makes me who I am, because those stories we tell ourselves, those identities are so restrictive, right? They, they really limit our movement, Yeah. And there's so much about living in the both end of that. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's true. I experienced being a single mother for seven years and you know what we have all kinds of ideas of what does single motherhood mean? Mm. Like it can mean a range of things. We don't have to assume that that means that it was like awful and torturous and tedious. There were some rough times for me Mm -hmm. in being a single mom. Like that is true. And we get to, you know, assign meaning to all of the things that occur in our lives. You know, you know, you know that I live inside of this basic context that everything in life is happening for me. Mm -hmm. In other words, everything is a gift. You know, I oftentimes will say heartbreak is holy. Suffering Mm. is optional. Like Mm. we can't, when we say life is for you, that doesn't mean life is always going to be comfortable or easy. But it can mean that we have the choice to interact with everything that comes our way with some level of curiosity. And that doesn't mean that we don't get triggered. That doesn't mean we don't react. That doesn't mean we don't get taken out at some Mm -hmm. point. Like I have been taken out. And ultimately, it's my responsibility to do my internal work to tend to what is this here for me to expand into, Mm. to be available for, to say yes to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I think as, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking about how being grounded in a sense of worthiness really helps to be able to ask the question, how is this for me? And I think about when I wasn't, when I didn't feel worthy, I often, when hard things would happen, would feel this is because there's something wrong with me. This is a punishment. This is a sign, right? It was happening to me. It was a punishment. It was evidence of my unworthiness. It was evidence of my badness. It was, you know, there was all of this stuff 
coming at me. And that's how I was interpreting it because there didn't feel like there was, even if it was for me, it was like, well, this is a punishment to show you that you shouldn't do that again, or you shouldn't be, you know, it's sort of this not a great framework. And I think, you know, for me, some of that came through being raised as a Christian and sort of a framework of sin and not being good enough and being saved despite who you are. And, you know, some of it came from that framework. And so I wonder your thoughts about that and particularly how you think about self-worth or worthiness in a spiritual context that's not, you know, grounded in Christianity and what that looks like for you. I'm so appreciating the extraordinary nature of the universe that demonstrates how interconnected we are, because as you were speaking and before you got to the reference of religion, I kept hearing an early affirmation that I worked with as a participant at Bodhi long before I joined the staff. And, you know, the way I wrote it was, I am the source of my own salvation. And I was wondering like, oh, I wonder if that's okay for me to share in this space because mm-hmm. I know that that can be very confronting to people. If you've been, you know, if you adhere to a system of beliefs that says, no, Jesus is the source of your salvation, it can sound like that's in conflict. And I would say you can absolutely hang on to that framework of Jesus as being the source of your salvation. And I want to break that down for a moment. So when I say I am the source of my own salvation, I'm saying that on a couple different levels. Number one, so long as my worth is determined by external circumstances and conditions, external people, places, and things, I am at the mercy of that judgment. And I just have an unwillingness to have that be the truth of who I am. So when I say I am the source of my own salvation, I save me. My Mm. sense of worth saves me. My sense of wholeness at my at the core of my being is that which saves me. Now it is also said, and we could we could make reference to this scripturally, that I am is spiritual code for your holy nature. So mm. when I say I am the source of my own salvation, I do not mean my egoic nature. I do mm-hmm. not mean at the level of my personality, although I love my personality. What I'm speaking to is my essence, the truth mm. of who I am. That's what's going to save me. When Mm. I can attach my worth to my essence, which by the way, like no matter what trauma or injury or hardship or violence any one of us have experienced, because we have all experienced some of that, there is an aspect to you that has never been hurt, harmed, or hindered. That is, that is a reference to a great spiritual philosopher whom I love, a guy named Ernest Holmes, who mm. really was popularized in um, you know, the early 20th century. He was an old school metaphysician. And this idea that, wow, when I heard Michael Beckwith, who's one of my good friends and mentors, speak in 2000 for the first time, there was a vibration, a frequency at which he was speaking that was connecting with my soul, not Mm. my circumstances. And I really got like, wow, this is, this is some truth right here. I call that radical truth, not circumstantially based. So your Mm -hmm. worth or my worth isn't dependent on circumstances and conditions in my worldview. And so, yeah, I mean, religions have been designed and institutionalized Mm. to create a sense of 
oppression, quite frankly. And that's different than spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, spirituality has been co-opted and, you know, there's so many like layers to the thing, yeah. but I think that, um, it's why I love to study mysticism as mm. distinct from religion, yeah. because I think mysticism of all great traditions is really about the metaphor that can be applied to the human experience. There is a mystery going on here. And I think one of the most challenging things we are experiencing in the human condition right now is this very literal interpretation of reality. It's like Mm. we are so fixated on the binary of vaccinated, anti-vaccinated, Republican, Democrat, you know, black, white, Mm -hmm. gay, straight, rich, poor, rural, urban. I mean, it's just the, and the mind is, I mean, you can probably speak to this better than I can as a psychologist. Like the mind is hardwired to do that. Mm -hmm. But the moment you realize that you are more than just your finite mind or your thinking mind, you have access to another state or realm of consciousness where you become so much more than what I call this meat suit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there is so much there in what you just shared that, you know, we could unpack. I think when you were saying the, I am my salvation, right. Or Mm -hmm. I am my savior, right. I think it's so powerful how you broke that down to the essence of me right? The truth of who I am is what saves me. And I think where things go awry is when people do sort of what you just said at the end of this binary, concrete, literal, you're saying you're a God, you're Mm -hmm. saying you're God and should Mm -hmm. be worshiped and are perfect. And right. And it's sort of like the nuance is just like sucked out. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And suddenly we're having this conversation about who's God and who's not and, you know, all and, and people feel offended and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So there's so much and it's so hard, I think, these days to have nuanced conversations that don't just get pulled to the polars, right? That don't just get totally polarized. And, you know, I love your both and stance and I'm often, I often find myself trying to pull people to the middle. I'm like, okay, you're over here. Then I'm going to say this thing that pulls you here because it's never that the truth is on one end or the other, or that someone is all right. and Someone is all wrong. And it makes us feel safe to believe that, right? Our mind says safety is in the concrete, the structured, the I know who's good. I know who the good guys are and I know who the bad guys are. And it's very clear, right? I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And the challenge again is that, and then you're in a prison, safe in a prison, Mm -hmm. not like our prison because they're not safe, right? But like Mm -hmm. you're trapped, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're trapped in a box that, yeah, maybe it feels safe, right? Like a baby likes to be swaddled, but eventually the swaddle doesn't work. Eventually the baby needs to move its arms and legs and you're going to hamper the baby if you keep swaddling it too long, right? So it's sort of like, how do we help people move out and know like it's still safe, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so much more and it's so amazing to live in this confusing place of questions, not very many answers. And, you know, that I think is that space. And I also think that's, you know, what I try to help people 
work with, with the worthiness question, because that is essentially, I'm trying to get people to connect to the truth of who they are. And I'm Mm -hmm. often talking about, okay, when you were born, do you think you were worthy then? Yes. And usually people say yes, Yes. right? Or is a baby where, and it's like, well, what have they done? Yeah. They really really haven't, they've not done anything, right? Of productivity or accomplishment. And yet there is something in them that you identify as worthy. And so could you play with the fact that that's still in you? And I think for a lot of people, it feels scary because it's like, well, what if I never work again? And what if I don't, where's my motivation? All these things come up. Yeah. I mean, there, if you, you know, I think the other thing that I'm aware of is if we don't understand our history, Mm. it's hard to understand how we got to where we are. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't, you know, I oftentimes use the example of like original sin in the Catholic church, for example, was formed at the time of the French revolution. Mm. And it was, it was a, it was a power play. So if you can have human beings believe that they're fundamentally flawed Mm then they will always outsource their authority to an institution, to a power structure. Mm. Now, if you don't understand that that's part of what was going on at the inception of original sin, you're going to just adhere to a system of beliefs that may or may not have been designed with your wellness in mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so some of this is like we've created all this mythology around the benevolence of religion without really studying historically what was going on that had this system of beliefs mm. get codified the way it did. Yeah. You know? And so that's to me why I'm, I'm much more interested in the mystical, uh, you know, than the literal interpretation of any text. Because to your point, there's so much mystery. And when we can allow ourselves to be okay with the mystery, which you're right, that's scary. That's a big ask of people because the way we establish our security is through the known. And we like to feel safe because then we can protect ourselves. So, I mean, it's like so many layers deep, but it is a radical, radical idea to consider that who you are, as you are, with all of your past, with all of your history, with all your quote unquote shortcomings, is still whole, holy, perfect, complete, mm. worthy of love, worthy of peace, worthy of joy, worthy of abundance. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so in some ways simple and yet it goes against the grain of our society. You know, it goes against, you know, Mass incarceration, which says you make a mistake, you make three mistakes, that's it. We throw mm-hmm. you away. We're done with you, right? It goes against our political system. It goes against so much of the world and the culture that we live in. And I think that people are longing for it, right? I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're in a place in society where so many people are miserable, so many people are on psychotropic medication. And I don't think there's a problem with taking it, but I think the levels and the numbers of people that are taking these meds is not necessarily aligned with the number of people who truly need medication to address their concerns versus something else. You know, 
to have so much wealth in our country and yet so much misery. It's like, there's something wrong. Yeah. Right. One of the things I wish I had talked more about at Bodhi was one of our eight spiritual practices, and that's the practice of forgiveness. Mm. And in many Mm -hmm. traditions, the practice of forgiveness is also known as atonement. And if you break down the word atonement, it it can be broken down at one, Mm. at one mint. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is we, in an effort to keep ourselves safe, we create this fortress. And we, as you said earlier, we identify all the bad guys, all the opponents, all the threats out there. And our world gets really, really small. So one of the things I've noticed in my own life experience is that the relationships I've had the most um, friction or obstacle in are those that are really, really committed to being right about Mm. a particular point of view. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of space for forgiveness, for grace, for compassion, Mm -hmm. for understanding. And, you know, many of us are familiar with do unto others as you would have done unto you. And the only challenge with that, that formula is if you're not so great to yourself, you're not going to be so great to others. So we really do have to reconcile the worth and love and peace that we're willing to extend ourselves. Yeah. I love that you brought up forgiveness. A big piece of what I talk about when I'm walking people through self-worth journeys and journey to embrace their unconditional self-worth is forgiving themselves. It's this huge piece. And you know, I think we have very challenged relationships with forgiveness because people think forgiveness means saying what happened was okay. It means reconciling, right? Forgiving other people. There's a lot of things. And then I think many people don't even consider this idea of forgiving themselves, of letting, putting down the baggage that they have strapped onto their backs for years and said, I'm awful. I'm this, I'm that. I did this 10 years ago. I can't, you know, and it is so burdensome and it can be really hard to go back and look at it and say, this is what was going on for me at that time. This is why I made that choice and to offer grace and self-compassion, yes. but it is so transformative. Okay, like yes. I have seen people I have experienced in my own life and seen other people, right? Like the lightness that comes from releasing those burdens and releasing the belief that you are flawed and awful because you did this one thing or those few things or whatever, and therefore cannot live your full life, cannot enjoy yourself, cannot do like it is so transformative and it takes work, right? Like it takes actual commitment to doing this work and looking at yourself and looking at all of these things. Yes. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I spent seven years in my role at Bodhi Mm. and it's like, you know, wow, I can look back and be like, there are things I would do differently. Mm. And can that be okay? Like, can that be okay Mm. that I didn't do everything perfectly, whatever that means there are, you know, I have, I have four kids. There are interactions and moments I've had with my kids that I didn't execute as the most perfect Mm. model parent. And can that be okay? Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't mean I'm letting myself off the hook, whatever that means. It just means like, can I be okay with my humanity? Can I be okay with 
being on an evolutionary journey of growth, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Now, when we're being arrogant, we'll use that as judgment. Mm -hmm. But when we're being grace-filled, we're like, oh my gosh, we are all just doing the best we can in any given moment. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that is such a great example. And that's like what it looks like to live out the nuance, right? The nuance of, I am trying my best to be the best parent I can and I'm going to miss the mark yeah. and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm still worthy. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm going to, I talk about like, I'm going to show up for myself, even in those moments when I'm like, Oh God, Oh, <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to abandon myself. I am still going to be here with me because I believe I am worthy of that love and that compassion and that grace. Yes. Right. And it's like, if we could offer ourselves that and we could offer other people that, like, what would the world look like? Like, it would just be so much of an easier place to navigate. But we, again, we pull to the either I'm a good parent, mm-hmm. I'm a good person, which means I can't do anything wrong. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, I didn't do, I'm a good parent. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's often, you know, I talk with clients. It's like, why can't my parent accept my feedback? Well, we have this identity and this ego attachment to being a good parent and they cannot tolerate hearing how, yeah. yes, they may have been a good parent and they might have missed the mark. Or mm-hmm. we pull to her, I'm the worst parent ever. I'm the worst person ever. And then you have to take care of and, oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. And so, so it's, it's like, can you stay in that middle space where it's messy? Yeah. And I think the other thing related to that is that that actually helps you to clean up the, any mess you make. Yes. Because if you're not in the either I'm perfect or I'm awful, if you're in the, I'm really trying my best and I miss the mark and that doesn't make me unworthy. And I'm here with myself. You can say, you know what? I miss the mark. I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. The, the Buddhists call that the middle way. Mm. You know, biblically, mm-hmm. we talk about the narrow road. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there are all these opportunities like come, come over here, you know, yeah. consider that there could be another possibility. You know, I I love this context. I, you know, would use this a lot at Bodhi. You know, we would think about people who are going through a time of transition in their life. Could have been death, disease, divorce, whatever the case may be. And we would be like, hey, we have these people on our radar as extra grace required, EGR. We want to mm. pay particular attention to what someone may be going through so that we're tuned into their needs. And I would say... Over the last couple of years, given all of the dissonance that has been going on in the human experience, we are all extra grace required. We are all EGR. And I just don't think we can undermine the seismic shift that we are in as a species. And so, you know, it really, we, we must extend grace to ourselves. We must extend grace to another. And we are worthy of that. Yes, yes, yes. One of the things that I really admire about you and that really inspires me is your ability to integrate the spiritual with the practical or with the mm-hmm. everyday. I think 
when I listen to you, you're so good at being like, this thing happened and this is, you know, the metaphor, or this is how I make sense of it, or this is how I'm growing, or this is how I'm using it to expand. And I just think it's so, it's so helpful because sometimes when we talk about things in the spiritual realm, it feels very abstract out there, kind of like, I have no idea how to bring this down to earth and into my life. (laughs) And so it might sound good. It might pump you up. It might make you, oh yeah, that sounds good. But then it's like, then your life continues to just be the same. Yeah. And so I wonder how you, if you think about that intentionally, like how you sort of integrate these things and how you find it helps you, how you find it helps those who listen to you, who follow you, that sort of learn from you. Yeah. I mean, you know, my dad has been an executive search for 40 years. And Hmm. so he helps place, you know, senior level executives in organizational settings. And his business is one of relationships. And so many, many years ago, I was like, how do you remember all the names of the people that you meet? Mm. He said, one of my hacks is I just, I'll see someone. And if I can't think of their name, I'll just start reciting the alphabet and I'll see what letter prompts me. And I, I just, I love that because the thing is, the more hacks we can find for ourselves in life, the friendlier this human experience is. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm all about making these very esoteric concepts super practical. Otherwise, it's just about navel gazing. It's literally, you've seen me do this before, idea where it's like, we're just staring down at our belly button and we're just taking our finger and we're just sort of like going round and round and round. And it's like, oh my gosh, like what difference did that just make? Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, I don't want that. I, I really, for me, if spiritual principles and practices don't actually cause an expansion or a transformation in someone's life, they're meaningless. They're useless. So you know, for me, I learned through my life. My mm. my little dog just died unexpectedly mm. two, three weeks ago. Mm. And it was very, I was surprised by how affected I was by it. Like I've, I've always been the kind of person that's like, oh my gosh, this person and their dogs, I can't with that. You know, like I think that was a function of like becoming a mom so young, like having Mm. so much responsibility at such an early age, but I didn't really always have a lot of patience or compassion Mm. for like frivolous, what I deemed frivolous Mm -hmm. issues. Yeah. And having, having, you know, our, this little dog leave their body sooner than we anticipated or expected was like, the metaphor for me in that was like, wow, I actually don't know that I fully expressed my love and appreciation mm. to Summer, this little dog. Like, mm. and, and so I, so something in life happened and rather than just seeing it as like a random event and then moving about my business, it's like, what is the metaphor here? What is the gift? Like if I would have Summer a little eight-year-old Shih Tzu Poodle mix, her, her life not be in, her death not be in vain. Like, what's the gift for me in that? And the gift was like, you know what? I think there are some relationships in my life where I've not fully expressed my Mm. full love and appreciation. So I'm going to use this thing called Summer's Death to be a tool for my own expansion, curiosity, awareness. So for me, our lives are our greatest teaching tools. They are Mm. our greatest metaphors. And when we can understand that life and our life experiences aren't happening 
to us such that we have to be on the defense all the time, trying to mitigate risk and opposition and rather like, wow, I surrender. Like what, you know, there are a lot of people that were upset about both my departure from Bodhi and the dissolution of Bodhi. And it's like, Mm -hmm. can I be with that? Can Mm. I be with the upset? Can I be with like, how is this for me? What's the learning? What's the growth? It requires a fair amount of humility. It requires a fair amount of curiosity. Neither of those qualities are revered in our society. Mm -hmm. We really, really hold the ego up super, super high. And to your earlier point, it's all about accomplishment and productivity. Mm -hmm. So to come to meet life with curiosity and humility, not, which by the way, humility is not the opposite of Mm self-worth. Those are completely different concepts. Humility just means I'm open to learning. Mm. I'm available to consider that I don't know everything. Yeah. And can that be okay? Yeah. It makes me think about how we do live in the culture of you're supposed to know and nobody, you're not allowed to change your mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> not allowed to change your opinion. And that curiosity and humility carry with it vulnerability because it's an open, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I would love, hmm, that's interesting. Huh? What's happening there? I, I don't know what's going on. You know, we're like, whoa, I got a lot to learn. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> there is a lot I don't know here. Like, What can I take? And it is a vulnerable space to move in. And it's not saying, I don't know anything and I'm just an idiot, right? Yes. Wow. The the knowledge that I have acquired has not moved me through an experience like this. And what, yeah, what can I learn is such a different stance than I know what's right. I know what to do. I know what's best kind of. Thing, which is how, you know, we're often socialized, at least in the U.S., to, to be safe through the world. Yes. Yes. To protect to ourselves. We have to be the strongest to survive. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that's a heavy burden. It's real heavy. I like to say, you know, when people armor up, right, like you armor up with all your knowledge and the, you know, all this stuff. And then it's like when you walk like this and you get tired because it's really heavy. You really cannot go very far. You yeah. cannot do very much. And then it starts hurting, digging into your, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, this armor that was meant to protect you. Oof. Like I understood why you put it on at a certain point. It makes sense. What would it look like to take off now? Because it's yeah, I mean, really restricting your movement. Erica Badu's song, Bag Lady. Like, just go mm. listen to that one. Yeah. When I first met my husband, he had seen me before I knew who he was and he knew who I was. And at the time, this was 16 years ago, I literally would carry around bags everywhere I went. Mm. I had one giant bag that had all my bills in. I would just carry my bills around and I would think like, maybe one day I'm going to stumble upon someone who can help make sense of these bills because I can't Mm. figure out why my life keeps looking like this. And then I had my bag of all my kids crap because I always had like a gaggle of kids with me. And then I had a blind dog in a roller backpack. I mean, it was absurd. And over the last 16 years, I've just laid down one Mm -hmm. bag after another. And that feels scary because I 
I previously knew myself as Mm. my challenges, as my problems, as my baggage. Who are you if you aren't your bags? Mm. Then you got to stand naked before life. And that is scary. That is scary. It's risky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And I, you know, I think this brings us full circle in some ways, right? It's like, what identities are you deriving from the challenges and how to sort of clinging to that, maybe protect, well, I was a this, or I went through this, right? So armor, protection, this is who I am, right? Even if it is not a a proud identity, and sometimes it is, but even if it isn't, there can be safety in the certainty Hmm. that you're not going to reject me, or I'm going to tell you this about me before you can, you know, get close. And I think it's such a good, you know, maybe we can leave listeners with like, think about the metaphorical bags you carry, right? You may or may not be carrying physical bags around, but what metaphorical baggage, you know, what mistakes, what failures, what, you know, this didn't work out, this person left me, right? Like what bags are you carrying through life that are weighing you down? And what might it be like to just experiment? You could play with it. Like, what if for one day you let go of that one bag? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would that be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what would it be like to actually love yourself so profoundly and deeply? You know, like, yeah, you aren't those bags. You aren't mm-hmm. that baggage. You may have had some bags and they may have like gotten pretty full, but like, that's not who you are. So you are a brilliant, glorious, powerful portal for the universe to express itself in this dimension of reality. And if you are a portal for love and you're not loving you, Mm. then we got to reconcile that. That is a word. I think that maybe is a good stopping point. I love ending on that note, right? This reminder of the truth of who you are. It's incredibly powerful. And, you know, I just encourage people to experiment, try it on, Mm. try it on and see how it feels. The bags will still be there. (laughs) You can pick them back up. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how it feels. So, you know, thank you so much, Lola. This conversation was more rich and insightful and wisdom filled than I could have imagined. And so I so appreciate you sharing your time, your energy, your wisdom, your insights. And I know that people are going to want to connect with you further. So I'd love for you to share where people can connect with you, where they can learn more about you, and maybe uh, share a little bit about kind of what you're putting out into the world, community spaces you offer so people can understand how to work with you further. Yeah, I I launched a membership community called Our Circle in December, I guess, of 2020. And it's been really, really rich. It's been a place of incredible intimacy and connection for people to really explore sort of their, their own layers. So I love that. I have a lot of fun with that. It's live and on demand online each week. And my husband and I are forming this new space in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood called Nulum, which really is an invitation to consider life beyond suffering and Mm. to really, it's a magical garden. It's a physical space. We're prioritizing plant growth and people growth. And so it's Mm. emerging. If you're in Chicago, please come visit us. 
And then, yeah, I have a new podcast out called Set on Fire, which is really an invitation to go beyond the limitations of who you think you are and to love yourself radically and wildly as the greatest contribution you can make to humanity. Oh, I love it all. So be sure to connect with Lola and follow her. And on Instagram, at Lola Wright. At Lola P. Wright and LolaWright.com. Here we go. And everything's going to be added to the show notes. So just check there. Thank you for listening. We'd love for you to leave us a review, send us some feedback on Instagram or on the ratings. And Lola, thank you again so much. This has been a joy. Adia, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm just inspired by you eternally. Your wisdom, your beauty, your transparency, your persistence, your resilience, your risk. Like, ugh. Amy, I have chills saying that. So thank you for inviting me into your space and being the gift that you are. Thank you so much for that affirmation. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wadaboy.